Give God some praise. Man, it's the first, first gathering of the year. Are you feeling all right? I, I feel good. I feel good. I'm glad to be in God's house. I'm overwhelmed by what God has done um, in 2021, and I stand in kind of excitement and in, with a sense of enthusiasm um, about what God plans to do in and through us in 2022. Don't ever forget that if you allow yourself to be a vessel, meaning if you allow yourself to be used by God, He'll use you. He'll use you in a supernatural way. I, I love the encouragement from Summer. She, she shared with you that we should not shrink back, and I, I believe that should be the testimony of all of us in every season of life. There are so many seasons where we, we tell ourselves, this is the season I just think I'm just going to kind of just step aside, and sometimes it's good not to strive. Some of you might need to stop striving, but there's never a season to step back or to shrink back in your faith. We are the righteousness of God. God is going to use us. He desires to use us. It is his plan A. No plan B is on the table. His plan to redeem the world is through the bride of Christ, through the local church, and so that's you and me. Can you say Amen. And so God decides to use us. He just needs some people who are willing and able to say, here I am, Lord, send me. And uh, as we be, uh, we're perfectly considering what to begin the year with, um, I, I really felt, and our team as we prayed, we really felt that we need to focus a lot on how to um, abide in Christ. Now, the series title today um, and through this month will be Bear Fruit as we read through the book of Colossians. But I think one of the dangerous things for many of us is when we see that, or we hear it rather, we may hear, work harder, do more, accomplish more for God. But I don't believe that's what it really means to bear fruit. What I want us to do today as we lean into God's Word and as we begin to um, unpack some of the Scripture, I want you to allow the Word of God to to kind of paint the picture of what it really means to bear fruit. Before we get into that and before we read, we're going to begin in the book of Colossians. I'll give you a little bit of a background on that book, and we'll begin to read in chapter 1. But before we do that, I want to share with you some of the incredible numbers of 2021. Some of you might already know these numbers, but the reason I want to share these with you is because on June 4th of 2006, um, my father and my mother acted in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit to start True North Church. Um, our logo at the time was different. <laughs> the size of the church um, was different. We met in the American Legion Hall in Mullica Hill, and we bought a little shed out back. The children met in the basement. We don't like to tell people that now, but um, they did. Um, there were about 30 or 40 people in they felt with all their heart that God was birthing in them something significant. And they talked that way. They acted that way. They cultivated a culture of faith, of humility, of confidence in God. And they believed that nothing was impossible for God. And they began to teach not only those who were in the church, their children, of the, high, of the first priority, but then those who God brought into the spiritual family. And thinking about what God has done in and through us as vessels used by Him, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming as I go through these numbers, knowing that we started with a group so small, 
but yet the vision was so big. And today, I can tell you that even as I read these numbers, I'm overwhelmed, but I know that God's not done yet, that God is just getting started, that God wants the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ and the hope of the world to go into every single home in this region, in this state, and beyond. And I believe that we play a significant role in that as a church. And maybe you're here today and you've been enjoying the ride and it's been a a pleasure to be part of what God is doing. I want you to allow God to disrupt your, your life this year. I want you to give him permission to disrupt everything that you've planned out for this year all of, the, all of the New Year resolutions that you've set out on before you, all the, the promises that you're hoping to, to claim this year. Can, I, can, can you move all of that off of the table and just leave one thing on the table? Just, just allow yourself to pursue Jesus and to abide in Him more than anything else. I believe that when we do that and when we seek God... You're clapping now. I don't know if you will be, but no, I'm just kidding. I think there is, a, there is a danger sometimes in our humanity to think that, that I'm going to do this for God. God's like, I'm not, I'm not lacking anything. You know, like, yeah, but God, I'm going to do it for you. He's like, no. I just want you to know me, be rooted in me, remain in me. And if we remain in him, he'll remain in us. And something out of that will be beautifully produced And it will be nothing of our manipulation or our coercion or our kind of motivations. It will just be the simple fact that we're connected to Christ. And I I really see, when I see that in 2021, we saw 678 people in church leave this auditorium, moved by the power of the Holy Spirit to go and tell someone, I just gave my life to Jesus Christ. He is the Lord and Savior of my life. That's a pretty significant thing. Amen. We saw 196 people make the public declaration and get baptized in 2021. We saw 421 people complete growth track. They finished it. All three classes, they finished it. 588 people currently serve on team um, in the life of our church. And 987 people attended crew in 2021. I think that's some pretty significant numbers of seeing people take their next step. And one of the things that I love about this house, it's one thing to say you're a generous people, but how many of you know it's one thing to talk the talk, it's another thing to just to actually to, to do it, amen? And um, I, I love it. And we're all at different journeys in our journey with the Lord. And, but I, I have to tell you that I am incredibly grateful to those who have faithfully not only stewarded the resources that God has blessed you with, but you've chosen to honor God and bring the first fruits to the house of God, and not only in your tithes, but in your offerings. And then on top of all of that, at the end of the year to give a legacy offering in the amount of $870,469 in the life of the church. I think we can clap for that. That's pretty amazing. Every single number had attention given to it. Every number, behind every number is a name, and behind that name is a family. There are siblings and parents and children, and there are eternities behind that. There is conversations that you'll never know about in those numbers. There are tears in those numbers that you'll never know. And there's something so significant in that. Now, we could stand back and say, look at what we've accomplished, but we know that we know that we did not accomplish that. It is our, 
It is God working through us, and it is by His grace and our obedience that we get to witness the fruit that comes from being obedient to God's Word. And as we go into this new year, I suppose I wanted to begin this way because, well, the truth is, over the course of my life and my journey with Jesus, I've struggled in this area of striving and trying to do a lot for God. Now, I don't know where you stand in this or where you fall, but I, I, I tend to run sometimes in two different lanes, and I find myself bouncing back and forth between the two. I find myself either striving and trying to do a lot for God, and I'm going to do more, I'm going to do this, I'm going to read more, study more, spend more time, and I'm doing all of these things for God, but yet sometimes I can seem feel so far from Him. And then I know that people are, you know, you can read books, you can watch other pastors, you can, you know, and I consume maybe too much sometime. And that's why I'm often, um, I'm harping on you as a family. Listen, the Bible says that a wise person is not one that merely hears the word of God, but he's one who puts it into practice. And so I believe our culture is filled with a bunch of information and a bunch of knowledge, but we have an inability to live it out. And so when people want to get, and, and I know, listen, I was one of those people too, I but when we start talking about church, you know, I need something deep. No, you don't. You need to learn how to love. You need to learn how to carry joy. You need to learn how to, and, and when I'm saying you, I'm talking about me. And so for many of us, it's like, well, I need something else. How do we need something else if that which we've been given, we don't even know how to exercise? And so sometimes it's, it's almost like every, I don't care what level of athletics you are talking about. You could be talking about an Olympic athlete and you say, hey, what do you do to be the best? And he'll say, the basics. The basics. You're like, yeah, okay. But now really tell me what you do. The basics over and over and over again. So sometimes we, we think that in order for us to be a super Christian, we need to do more than everyone else. We need to read more than everyone else. We need to know more than everyone else. I need to tell you some of the smartest people I know according to even in knowledge of Scripture, struggle to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit as described in Galatians. And so what is it? Is it merely just having an awareness of Scripture? Is it merely just knowing things? Or is it a matter of understanding what we've received, which ultimately is what wisdom is? It's taking that knowledge that we've received and understanding how to put it into practice in our lives. So it's, it's in environments like this, hearing the preaching of God's word, saying, man, I can be a better parent. I can be a better spouse, a better child, a better student, a better worker. I can love more. I can display more. But how do I do it? Do I strive to produce it from just my own effort? Which some of us do often early in our walk. But it's not sustainable. It doesn't last. It becomes fake and phony. It's, it becomes that plastic face when you come to the church. How you doing? I'm just, I'm great. Blessed to be here today. It's just so blessed. You're like, you look like you're on the verge of crying. No, I'm just so happy to be here. You know, you're like, well, that's okay. Praise God, you know. And, we've, and you're like, why does church become that? Because we've taught ourselves just say everything is good. Because we, we've, we've somehow wired ourselves to thinking that if I act a certain way, that then God will be pleased with me. But nowhere in scripture does it say that we will bear fruit just by going through the motions or by discerning in ourselves what is good. The Bible says that anything that is good comes from above. 
and that any good work that is produced from us first is a seed planted from, it's a seed planted within us. Well, what is the seed? It's the word of God. I, I, I suppose the best place to start when we're talking about bearing fruit is first this idea of that, that everything that has life first begins in the form of a seed. Everything. Now, I have to tell you, I've, I've listened to messages, and I've even probably said this in my past, like, hey, this year is going to be the year of your greatest harvest. How many believe it and want to receive it? And I'm like, ah, you know. It's like me coming to your house and saying, hey, this year, that garden in your backyard will yield the greatest harvest. And you go, I don't have a garden in my backyard. <laughs> That's a problem. You're probably going to have to cultivate the ground. You're going to have to prepare the ground and then you're going to have to sow a seed into the ground. And then once you do that, you're going to have to work the ground, make sure it gets water. You're going to have to keep the weeds out. And then, 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 then you will have the greatest harvest. Well, that was different than just the greatest harvest ever, you know. We always want the greatest harvest, but we don't want anything to be expected of ourselves, or if we do want it to be expected, sometimes we go about it our own way and not God's way. But actually, Scripture clearly teaches us how we bear fruit in every good work, in every season of our lives, without being burnt out, without being stressed, without feeling abused by the church, without feeling abused by other people, without being trampled upon in our emotions, without this guilt cloud above us saying, if you don't do this, God will hate you and all of these things. Without, what is the motivation to do it? If it's anything other than love, it's off. And so sometimes when we get ready to do things, I, I, I might've pushed this envelope too much with the team, but I'm, I always, whenever we do anything, I always say, why? Like, why? You know? And some of us might say, well, it always begins with the why. And that technically, strategically, is probably accurate, but actually it always begins with God. It begins with, with who he is. And he tells us actually where to start and how to not only start well, but how to finish well. How many want to finish well? And so I believe even as we approach this year that we need to, we need to learn how to trust in God. And I believe when we do that, we'll bear fruit. I want to turn First in Colossians um, chapter one, Colossians chapter one. This is a very, very um, short book written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church of Colossae. And this is the fascinating thing. He's, he, he's never even been there, but he's, he's writing to this church to encourage them, to correct them, to kind of rebuke them. But he's in Rome in prison as he's writing this letter to the church. He's writing this letter and he's acknowledging that he's sent this one individual by the name of Epaphras to the church who he's released there as kind of like the spiritual leader. And so Paul is acknowledging first off in the letter, I mean, the first probably 10 verses of how much he's prayed for them, how much he's loved them, how grateful he is for them, and how he continues to pray for them. And then in verse 10, which is where we'll read, verse 10, 11, and 12, which I want to read to you, he begins to, to say something that I think is quite profound. This church is a church of Gentiles. It's not Jews. It's, it's non-Jewish believers, and it's a smaller group, but Paul's writing to them, and this is what he says in verse 10. He says, and now we pray this, 
in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, in every good work, not some, not sporadic, but that you may bear fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have what? Great endurance and patience. Patience with yourself, patience with your children, with your spouse, patience with the other people around you, in your family, friends, co-workers, that you would have endurance to finish the race, patience to carry that excitement and a joyful sense of giving thanks to the Father. I love what Paul writes because Paul's encouraging the church to bear fruit in every good work. Bear fruit in every good work. I suppose the the best place to begin or a place that has really helped me is found in Matthew um, chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And I, I think it's most it's important to begin here because, well, let me just say it this way. If you don't understand the role that you play in your relationship with the Father, everything is backwards. For example, if you don't realize that, that God loves you right where you are, right where you are, in your sin, Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love towards us, that while yet we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means while you, while you were in school and said, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God, God went to the cross and died for you. And that's the love from heaven. And so listen to me, if you don't understand that love is unconditional to you, your journey with Jesus will be, your entire journey with Jesus will be you trying to earn a love that was freely given. And you'll feel guilt-driven to come to church and to give and to serve. And you may never say it, but the only reason you do it is to earn the love of God. But you can earn it. It was freely given. And so if you don't understand the relationship that you have with the Father, specifically as it pertains to bearing fruit, you can get this backwards and you could... This is, and this is, why I, this is why this is so important to me because if you get this wrong, this is where people say, see, I tried the church. It just doesn't work. I tried, I tried the, the church thing. It just doesn't work for me. And I want you to know that, that God, God wants to be in relationship with you. But usually when we hear that, we hear, I need to do things for God. It's not what he's saying. He said, I want to be in relationship with you. The byproduct of being in relationship with God is you will do things for God. But if you get that backwards... It doesn't produce the same thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is in a boat. He's surrounded by people. There's a crowd around him and people are pressing him in and it's almost kind of like we're backing up, we're backing up, nowhere else to go. I'm going in a boat, you know? And he gets in a boat and he's talking to the crowd of people and he begins by speaking to this large crowd and he tells them this parable saying this, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the, plant, the plants were scorched and they withered because they, didn't, they did not have a root. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. (laughs) I have to tell you, I would love to stand before you this morning and say, now if I was on on the beach, on the beach, on the shore, and Jesus, the Son of God, was in the boat, and he, and he shared that. I would have just, wow. But I would have probably been like, oh, look, seagull. You know, like distracted, not knowing what's going on. And then I hear these words, he who has ears, let him hear. What is he saying? He's saying, though some hear, they do not hear. And though some see, they do not see. They don't understand what I'm saying about the things of the kingdom of heaven. If you continue to read, the disciples approached Jesus and they asked Jesus, they said, why do you speak to all these people in parables? Why not just tell them? And Jesus responds to them and he says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. And so he uses parables to explain things. This is why I speak to them in parables. And he continues and says, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. We have so many people that are keen to hear things, but but I believe we need to have a desire to understand that which we hear. And how do we often do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every time I open the word of God, every time we gather, it should be a prayer individually for each one of us, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, illuminate the scriptures to me. Speak to me. Help me understand. You know, Proverbs 4, 6 says that uh, wisdom is supreme. Above it all, it says wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. And then it continues and it says, though it costs you everything, get understanding. Get understanding. And Jesus is saying, those who have ears, let them hear. And the disciples ask him about why he teaches in parables. He explains to them, because you understand the kingdom of heaven. They do not. And they hear, but they don't understand. And so Jesus then, disciples aside, begins to explain to them the parable of the sower. Now, you may be asking me, I thought we were talking about bearing fruit. Why are we talking about this parable? This parable explains the importance of of the soil. The soil is so important for any fruit to be yielded. We have to talk about the condition of the soil. The condition of the soil is incredibly important. Now, some might argue, well, what about the seed? Well, we learned through this parable that the seed is the word of God. It's the word of God. It's always good. Some of you are like, no, my seed was just bad. No, it's not. Anytime the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed, the Bible says it will not return void. It will not. So where is the, var- the variables in the soil? Which the soil is the condition of someone's heart. It's the condition of someone's heart. So he says, listen, I'm going to explain to you the parable of what the sower means. The first one, anyone who hears the message of mine about the kingdom of heaven and does not understand it. This is where the birds come in and eat the seed off of the path. He says the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. And I've, I've watched this in my journey with Jesus. I've, I've watched people hear the gospel of Jesus. Uh, and it's not just those who are elementary in their intellect. I've, I've watched professors. I've watched some very 
intelligent individuals hear the message of hope in Jesus and because they have an inability to comprehend the magnitude of God, they, they, they find themselves in a very in a, in a uncertainty, in a place of imbalance. And it's in that moment that you watch things happen and that truth that was deposited seems to get snatched from them. <laughs> and then Jesus continues and he says, the second one is the one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places. And it is the man who hears the word of God and at once receives it with joy. These are the individuals that I've, I've witnessed this my whole life in ministry. I, I've literally led people to Jesus on the phone. I've led people to Jesus on benches as they're weeping. And, and it's like this moment of joy and excitement. But then this happens. They receive it with joy, but since they have no roots, it only lasts a short while. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, because of the gospel, they quickly fall away. You think about the culture we live in today, how the culture has politicized many biblical principles, whether it regard to sexuality, whether it regard to marriage, whether it regard to, to life. And you watch how culture has politicized that and many who are young in their journey with Jesus who have no roots, no real strong biblical community who come to this church and they say yes to Jesus. They're overwhelmed by the hope that they found in Jesus. They, they say yes and you can see how easy it is for the enemy to come in and through the persecution and the stress of the world to strangle out that's what, that which was planted. It says the third one was the one who received the seed and fell among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word but the worries of this life, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So this is interesting. It says that the seed was sown in the same place there were thorns. They grew together. But it actually says that the two things that caused the seed not to yield any fruit was the worries of the world People are saying, oh, things are so bad. Things are so horrible. I don't know. It's, it's almost like Jesus is saying, listen, if you live by fear and not by faith, you won't produce good fruit and have good work that I'm pleased with because it comes from faith, not from fear. And so those who are strangled out by fear will yield no fruit. And then that's not the only thing he says. He says, actually, those who are deceived in the pursuit of wealth won't yield fruit either. And then finally, he says, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and what? Understands it. He understands it and he produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. It's interesting as Paul writes to this church, the church of Col in this book of Colossians, he writes to the church of Colossae, he, he says to them, you've done so many things well. My prayer is, is that you would bear fruit in every good work that you do, that you would have, you would be strengthened in your endurance and your patience as you joyfully give thanks to God and he's giving them. But no one could rebuke and correct like Paul could rebuke and correct. Paul was the one that would like, you know, he would be the friend that would, would be smiling at you and just telling you, you are so wrong. You need to repent right now. And you're like, why am I a friend with you? And then you're like, this is why I'm a friend with you. But Paul had this ability, and every time Paul would write to the church, his goal, listen to me, in correcting people in church is, is not to cause shame, is not to cause guilt and condemnation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
It's not to make them feel strange. It is to restore them back to the body of Christ. It is to bring unity and purity to the church. And it is to honor God. And Paul is always brilliant at this. He always helps people find their place back into a place of restoration, health, wholeness, and healing. We haven't typically done this well in in church world. Typically, if someone in church does something wrong, it's like, how many times can we shoot them? And how frequently and often can we humiliate them on social media and tell them how bad they are before everyone? It's like, well, why do we do that? Somewhere along the line, we have yet to understand and comprehend that we ourselves have been forgiven much. Therefore, we also should forgive much. We have to be careful how we judge other people. Does that mean that we should hold no level of accountability to those who are in leadership? Nope, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we need to learn how to forgive in the same way that Christ has forgiven us. And we need to learn how to give people second chances. Anyone else been given second chances? No one at the 11 o'clock service has been given a second chance. <laughs> and so as we, we work in this area, Paul was brilliant at it, and he does it so eloquently, but he's talking to new believers This church was predominantly filled with new believers, young converts, infant Christians. And the infant Christians were being kind of persuaded by another gospel. There is no other gospel. There is one gospel. But this is this false gospel, these Gnostics, um, Gnosticism, they, 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 they propagated amongst the church that we have a superior knowledge of God and that we know things that you do not know. And only once you know what we know, then you fully, you know, fully be illuminated to the things of God. But they even went as far to say that Jesus was not the son of God. He was just an elevated human. And this was, this was problematic for Paul and Epaphras, this, this, this vessel or this church leader that Paul was leading. And he's saying, listen, you need to get this right right now. They need to, they need to come back to, the, to what they've been told in their understanding of the gospel and they need to walk in it. They need to know that salvation is by grace through faith, that you can't earn it. It doesn't come from this supreme, superior, strange, mystic knowledge. That's not how one receives salvation. But Paul was also writing is because infants are easily swayed. We often bring what we knew before God into our relationship with God. Uh, this happens all the time. You may not catch it, but I, I know just a few weeks ago, I was in a conversation with someone and they said, ah, oh, yeah, Pastor, you know, it was karma. It's karma. You know, we believe karma. And I'm like, no, actually, we don't believe karma, you know? He's like, no, 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 you know, like, you know, you reap what you sow. And I was like, well, yeah, you reap what you sow, but that's very different than karma. They're like, no, so it's all the same thing, you know? And, but many times they seem to run parallel. And in some ways, you could make an argument they do, but they're very different. And it's dangerous sometimes with young Christians because they, they hear a lot of head knowledge from some, other, from some other group and they say, oh, that sounds good. And Paul's like, no, no, that may sound good, but that's not the word of God. And this is what Christ taught and this is how Christ leads us into the fullness of understanding salvation and how to actually bear fruit. And so Paul does that so eloquently and then His heart is to lead them to a place where they can live a life that is pleasing to God. And I don't know about you, but, you know, in the last four or five years, uh, I've had ministry friends in my world that have kind of taken, I'll say it this way, they've, they've taken themselves out of the aspect of leadership that they've had because of the poor decisions they've made. 
And I've watched that. I've witnessed it. And I found my prayers changing over the last several years saying, hey, God, help me finish well. Holy Spirit, help me finish well. Let me be wise and understanding. Let me make good decisions in my life. And let me fight the battles that are worth fighting. And let me invest my time and my energy into the things that are worth me investing time and energy into. And one of the things that I've always struggled with is what does fruit look like? And and I don't know about you, I'm always like motivated. Um, I've always been motivated in athletics to just be the best I can athletically, though I didn't figure that out until like the last two years of, you know, me being involved in athletics. But the motivation is so important for us as believers. Now, if I were to tell you, you know, how do we bear fruit? I would probably begin first by bringing your attention to what John the Baptist said when John the Baptist says that we produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And I really believe actually that the first fruit that comes to pass in your life is at that moment of repentance, confession, and belief. When you repent because of your sin, you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the grave and the Bible says the fruit of that is salvation and you receive it. And that, that you say, well, how did I do that? What good work did I do? Nothing. Like, oh no, 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 I want you to listen to this because it's gonna help you understand how fruit is yielded in your life. It's like, well, what did I do? You acknowledge your need of God and you repented because of sin. You confess that Jesus is Lord and you believed in your heart that God raised him from the grave. And then you say, well, then what happened? Then God does what God does. And then God brings salvation. He says and sees you no longer as the same. He says, the old is gone and the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. And that's how God sees you. Your sin is as far as the east is from the west. And so if someone came to you and they say, whoa, how did you, how did you produce that salvation? You could say, well, I'm, let me tell you. I, um, I read through the whole Bible in a week. King James Version. And um, I know I just offended some people saying that. I'm sorry. Um, I grew up in King James. I love it. I highly respect it. I just, the thou's and the these are just, it's confusing to me. And, um, but you know, you can boast in it, but you know, in Ephesians 2, 8, it says that we've received salvation by grace through faith. So no one can boast, but it's fruit. Yeah. So do you see the roles we play? It's, that's why scripture says we're co-workers, co-laborers with Christ. And so you need to understand that when that this, the seed that produces any good work or good fruit is this. It's not your ideas. And I, I know this is hard for you to, to think of. It's like some of you believe that what, where you are in life, you're like, this is a God idea. God, yeah, it could be a God idea, but, but really the seed that is eternal is his word. And that's a good work that's pleasing to God. And so if you were to ask me, okay, so what is it then? And this is, I want you to understand this because, you know, when, when I was growing up, I was like, oh, I want to produce fruit. You know, I don't know what that means, but I'll plant as many trees as I need to, you know, in my backyard. And it's like, no, 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 hold on. And then I came across Galatians 5. And I'm like, oh, okay. The Bible declares that the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, which we have mastered in New Jersey, self-control. This, listen, this is, as the Bible describes, the fruit of the Spirit. But these are characteristic traits. These are behaviors, attitudes that I have. 
If you were to ask me, what is fruitfulness? I would say Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness. But then this is where the dialogue really deepens. Because you could say, okay, Christ-likeness, got it. In what way? Well, in this way. Meaning that you bear fruit when you can love where you didn't love. Where you have joy where you didn't have joy. Where you can have peace where you didn't have peace. Where you have kindness where there's no kindness. Goodness where there was no goodness. Faithfulness where there was no faithfulness. Gentleness where there was no gentleness. And self-control where there was no self-control. And you would ask me, well, how did you produce that? And I said, I did not. The Holy Spirit did. <laughs> but then, there are, there's one teaching on that side. And then there's another teaching over here. And you would, if you were to ask me where do I sit, I think it's both. I don't think it's just fruitfulness. It's just a demonstration of good character, attitude, and behaviors. I believe it is results because you can't take the person in the fullness of Jesus Christ and divide him in half and say he was this but not that. Wherever he went, there were miracles. The laying on of hands, people were healed. There was conversions of salvation, new believers added to the body of Christ. <laughs> and so what should it be for us? The same way. We should see results and actions, but this is the important thing, to understand the role that we play in it. Meaning that we don't just pursue numbers for numbers sake man I want you to get this I want you to get this for your home I want you to get this for your marriage I want you to get this for your for your for your job and your children because I know when you get this in your spirit that that really in order for us to produce fruit Jesus is really saying this it's about abiding in me I'll never forget the first message that I ever preached it was in the gospel of John and I talked about Jesus being the vine and we are the branches and it was going so good until I got to the part where it's like, if you're not producing fruit, he's gonna cut you off and throw you into the fire. And there was like only 20 people there and it was like, there was no lights. And so everyone at that same time was like, yeah. It's like, this guy's terrible, you know? And I remember I was young in the Lord and I'm trying to figure it out. Like, what does that really mean? It sounds awful. I don't wanna be that branch that gets tossed into the fire, you know? It's probably that person. That's not me, you know? What, what, what is scripture teaching us? That if we are in the kingdom of heaven, we bear fruit. How do we do that? Not apart from the vine. So some of us, you've been striving and you, listen to me, you are praying for God to alleviate the pain of your striving, but he's never called you to strive. I did this for a long time. I'm like, God, I'm just so stressed and anxious and I just need you to. He's like, yeah, well, when you are done striving and trying to fix the world that I've already redeemed and sent my son to die on a cross for, for, for the, to provide them with eternal salvation, when you're done trying to do what my son already did, then you, you can come and find rest. It's like, well, what, what does it mean? It, it means that we need to make sure because even how do I say this? Even in the process of abiding, it, beca it becomes, it can become form. It can become a, a formula for us. It's like, well, listen, in the morning, I spend an hour and 45 minutes with the Lord, quiet time, turn on worship music, and then I listen to the Greek and then to the Hebrew, and then I go to pray, and then I read this devotional, that devotional, then I go to Bible study, then I serve, then I give, and then I'm part of this, and then I witness, and I go to this you know, homeless thing, and I do this, and I do that. And you're doing all of this for God, but not spending time with Him. So what does it mean? 
You have to teach yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, you want to know who the greatest comforter teacher is? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Every time the Bible is opened, even in this environment, you should pray to yourself right in that moment, Holy Spirit, let me hear what I need to hear. Let me, Holy Spirit, help me understand what I need to understand right now. And as the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate or give you greater revelation of who God is, you'll learn how to abide in Him, how to trust in Him, how to live with faith and not with fear, how to be guided and directed, not through your own motives and motivations, not so other people look at you and say, whoa, look how good they are. No, but when people look at you, they can be perplexed. They can be confused. And then when they ask you, man, how in the world did that happen in your life? You have another opportunity to give all the glory to God. This is what God chooses to do with us as vessels, as his bride, as the church, to go about, to bear fruit, fruit, as it says in John 15, 16, fruit that will last. If I'm honest with you, I think I gave a lot of my time in the first few years of ministry into areas, areas that would yield something in the eyes of people, but it was not eternal. And I, my prayer for you, family, is that this year, and this is a prayer that I'm praying over my life, my wife, our family, over our team, over you, is that this would be a year that would be so guided through the power of the Holy Spirit that this would be a year that we can abide, abide, trust in Jesus like we never have before. Because Scripture says that if we abide in Him, He will abide in us. And I'm telling you, when we do that, there will be significant fruit and we can give all the glory to God. Amen? Come on, give God some praise. Someone asked me one time, they said, well, how do you, you know, um, what's the word of the year? What's the word for the year? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that means. What's the word for the year? Is there like, you know, um, and, uh, and what did someone say to me? Um, oh, that's another rabbit trail. Um, I said, this is, this is how I follow Jesus. Because I always remind myself as it pertains to vision that I follow Jesus. And sometimes I think we can get that backwards. We set a vision we tell God, this is where I'm going. God goes, that's interesting. I thought you were following me, but now I'm following you. This is great. I want to always be a follower of Jesus, which means that sometimes I'm not privy to everything. It's all right. That's why Psalm 119, it says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so for maybe in your life right now, you don't know what the heck you need to do, but you know the one step you need to take. Just do the one step. It's that simple. This is how you ask me, like, well, how do you do it? Sometimes I feel like all God puts before me is one step, and I know that I know that I know God wants to see if I have the faith to take the one step. And so I have to be faithful in taking the one step, even sometimes when that one step seems insignificant. How can God entrust you with eternal things and big things if you don't take the small things seriously? So take the first step, whatever your step is this year but learn how to abide in Christ. Learn how to trust Him. And I believe the overflow of that. We will see greater love, prayer, miracles, salvation, serving, generosity, because we're learning to abide in Jesus. Throughout this month, I'm going to do something a bit unique. I'm going to uh, 
share with you a little bit of encouragement. I'm going to share with you a letter. We'll get it to you electronically. And um, uh, if we have your information, if you are on team or you're um, signed up for Growth Track, I know our team has unique ways of informing you if you have the app downloaded. But I want to share with you just some encouragement every Monday, um, tomorrow, and throughout this month. Um, so your life this year and moving forward would be a life that is pleasing unto the Lord. I don't, I'm not going to say perfect, but a life that is continually being molded and refined through the Holy Spirit and the preaching of God's Word. Amen? Come on, will you bow your heads and close your eyes?